I am sitting on a couch with like where it, there's like 10 pillows stacked on this couch. Like all I'm doing is like looking around at pillows. Like I didn't realize my family owned this many fucking pillows. And I um, don't understand why they're all here. Are you in a living room? Like, what, what do you mean? Where I'm in the you? downstairs like basement area. So yeah, it's set up as like a living room, but I'm not kidding you. I'm looking at probably 13 or 14 pillows right now. It's probably more than I have in my whole house. Yeah, I do not understand why we have all these pillows. Welcome to Podcast X, episode 12. I am your co-host, Ben Kendrick, joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Keys. Hello there. And special guest, Kofi Outlaw. What's up? This week, we are going to be talking a little bit of DC news, as well as talking about a bunch of different movies that we've all kind of, and TV shows that we've all seen the past week. Um, there's been some cool stuff coming out that we're just going to kind of unpack together and uh, we'll go from there. It'll be a little bit more of an informal formal discussion than maybe some weeks. But the first thing that we need to talk about is when we were preparing for the podcast today and deciding what we were going to discuss, um, news broke at WB that they have just straight up canceled and shelved the Batgirl movie, which is reportedly basically done um, and was test screening and was going to be releasing on HBO Max. And we all thought... Maybe given all the issues that they're having with with Ezra Miller for um, the Flash movie, maybe they would actually push this thing out to theaters and they have opted to not show it to anybody. You're not going to be able to stream it. You're not going to be able to buy it. You're not going to be able to go to a theater and see it. Um, so, yeah, pretty, uh, pretty crazy situation. So I, I want to talk a little bit just in general about like what you guys kind of think of this, why it's happening as well as, you know, what is going on at DC and like, what do they need to do to get back on track? Because, you know, we talked a bit from um, Comic-Con last week about, you know, Black Adam and Shazam coming out and stuff. And, you know, those are exciting. Aquaman's exciting. But in general, there still isn't a very cohesive plan here. And it's, it's awkward that these things that people have been looking forward to are not only being like, delayed and there's uncertainty around them they're like straight up being canceled so um i'm curious initially kind of what you guys think is going on here and then we'll uh yeah we'll talk a little bit more about what we want to see from dc uh <laughs> i don't even know where to start because I mean, it's funny it's so fresh in our mind the dc presence at comic-con which we talked about last week right and the uh disappointment that there wasn't more and and certainly on the topic of Batgirl, it was nowhere to be seen from theatrical or HBO Max. And people were wondering what's going on with that. What's going on with, with Blue Beetle or Static Shock? What's going on with these? Where's the Flash at? And <laughs> uh, and Kofi was saying DC's burning him hard because <laughs> of all this shit. And now, a week later, when Marvel's riding this high of like having an insane Comic-Con panel and, uh, you know, She-Hulk just about to hit Disney+. Plus we get this um, and I don't even know where to start. Cause you think DC has a broad thing. 
uh, in live action. We we also have like the Flash TV show on CW coming to an end, which is like we're starting to tie up the conclusions of what used to be the Arrowverse there. So I don't even know what to think anymore, man. Like this is uh, this is all part of the big grander. We should say like the big shakeup, you know, post Warner Brothers Discovery merger and their new CEO, which we've talked about a few times here on Podcast X, um, who, who's known for his belt tightening, so to speak, extreme cost-cutting measures. And so, uh, oh, we should also say it's not just Batgirl. Poor Scooby-Doo's getting uh, kicking the ass too, right? That, that, that uh, what's it called? Holiday Haunt, the sequel to the animated Scoob. It's also oh, got yeah. shelved as well. So, uh, and by shelved, we should say like every trade, and by the way, Warner Brothers has not said anything yet. We, I'm sure we've all reached out to them. We have. Um, but like, you know, Variety, THR, The Wrap, and it all started with the New York Post. They're all saying the same thing. Like, this is like, this is not coming to theaters and they're not even going to dump these projects, which like you said, Ben, they're almost done, right? Uh, they're not even going to dump on HBO Max. They don't want to spend anything marketing. And and so it's it's hard to decipher that because the directors of, of focusing on Batgirl here, it's, what well, forgive me for the pronunciation, but Adil LRB and Bilal Falal who did... Uh, uh, the latest Bad Boys film, which was awesome. And they did Miss Marvel, which to me, I said this numerous times, to me is the best MCU show on Disney+. Plus. They did this, which is very exciting, at a budget of 75, 80 million, whatever, and apparently went over budget due to COVID, you know. Um, but I, I have a hard time believing they didn't make something worth watching, at the very least, on a streaming service, right? Um, and to kill his character before she gets her time to shine... Uh, in a film that also was supposed to, you know, bring bring in, you know, Michael Keaton's Batman, right? And Commissioner Gordon, like uh, J.K. Simmons back. Like, it's weird, man. Um, but I'm very curious what Kofi thinks because I feel like this is so fresh in our minds from what we spoke about last week and what Kofi was saying. Yeah. Um, I think you have to, uh, if you're going to talk about, you know, everybody focuses on D.C. and says, what's going on at D.C. and D.C.? But there is no D.C. There never has been. There's always a Warner Brothers. Um, And, you know, Warner Brothers bought all of DC and they own it. And so when you're talking about DC, you really have to talk about what's going on at Warner Brothers, Warner Media, Warner Discovery, whatever the fuck it is now. Um, And that's half the problem right there. Like, we don't even know what the fuck it is now. Like, it's been 15 different things in the last three years. Uh, If you know anything about the history of Warner Brothers, which is in and of itself just a great book somebody should write. It's just it's a viper pit of executives backstabbing, competing. I mean, even when they did stuff right, like Wonder Woman, right? Like, you know, yeah. I was there back on the scene for the Wonder Woman. I was one of the first people to ever see it. I was one of the first people to come out and sell the world. Like, this is actually going to be something DC did right. Like, I saw the No Man's <laughs> Land footage and I was like, oh, yeah, like they're going to really do this. And like they've done it. And I told you, I mean, like, and I'm not here beating my own chest. I'm saying even in that like midst and that was in an edit bay in London that I got to fly out and go see Patty Jenkins had just cut together the uh, no man's land sequence. And we got to see that. And even then there was a weird formality in the room because wonder woman was being produced and like really kind of representing this new DC quote EU at the time. Um, And like producer Charles Roven's name was on it, but he was like, him and Jeff Johns and some other people were like kicked to the back and they weren't like really allowed to come out and speak about the film. And even though they were in the edit bay, just getting their flowers and we clapped for them, they didn't get ready to say much of shit before they were just like hustled out the door. And it was just like a weird vibe even then. And that was like wonder woman, like one of the bigger successes we've had. Right. Yeah. 
it seems like, and so like at every point uh, in like DC's memory and, I can't tell this to the young kids I work with because they think everything's new. So today they're all excitable and shit today. And they're like, oh, my God, Warner Brothers. Oh, my God. Look at this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This hasn't changed since like 2010. And like, yeah. And so they're all excitable right and all their little things. But anyway, the point is that like, yes, this has been a mess since we all were doing another podcast you know, and working all together back, you know, what is it now? 2022. Like, I mean, 12 years ago, and that wasn't even the start of it for us. I mean, we've been doing this since before that I'm just marking it at 12 years because 2011 is when we got, you know, the new 52 and the DC plans and all this stuff that was coming. And we were riding high off of that. Right. We were forgetting about justice league mortal. We were getting all this new stuff and it was going to be like, so great. So, through every iteration of that from justice league mortal to the new 52 and the, and when we caught the DCEU and we were going to get two Zack Snyder justice leagues and it was going to be Nolan and Snyder making the ultimate DC thing. And Marvel was going to be shitting in its pants when, you know, these two filmmakers did it and all this stuff. Like it's always been the same story. It comes back to the same story. One exec fucked another exec or fucked the plan over. Somebody said something, then somebody else then got shuffled out the door. Then somebody else came in and said, no, we're doing it this other way. Then they got shuffled out the door. Then somebody else came in and said, no, we're doing it this other way. And they shuffled out the door. And it's just like, it's just a viper pit of like execs backstabbing each other. And it's like that Rick and Morty episode where Rick, you know, all there, he made those, um, those emergency families or those disposable copies of their family. Oh, that's it. And they spend like a whole episode just watching like all of these copies get taken out by other copies. (laughs) Uh, Like that's pretty much what it's like at WB. Um, So yeah, I mean, we can never WB is just this place where people come in, they make these grand plans. They like, they start to launch them and then nothing ever happens of it. Like we can't even, I mean, this is a movie studio who's gone so far through the looking glass that we can't even believe it, what we see with our own eyes. Like we go to a WBDC movie and we're like, we walk out and people immediately go, nah, fuck that. That's not the real movie. That wasn't the real movie. Nah, <laughs> yeah, release that. That the, is uh, not the, the real guy, movie. Yeah. Show me the real movie. I'm digging through your trash every day until I find the real movie. Yeah. Like I know it's in there. And, and more often than not, they've turned out to be right. There was a real movie in there and that wasn't the real movie that we saw. And like, yeah, there was another one from Batman, Superman, ultimate edition to the Snyder cut. Now the air cut, like, you know, even birds of prey, even birds yeah. of prey. Yeah. The yawn cut. We're still waiting for that. Like, yeah. So it's just, it's always the executive team and it's the weird dichotomy between like Marvel and DC. Like, DC, you would think, would be the one to get it all done because it's owned by one studio. It always has been. This should be the easiest fucking synergy in the world. Studio realizes comic book properties. They have the most iconic characters. Like, we all love Marvel, but when you guys, like, step back from MCU movies versus DCE movies and you look at, like, raw economics, a Batman pair of underwear will always outsell a, a Spider-Man pair of underwear. And beyond Spider-Man pairs of underwear, there's not a whole lot Marvel can do besides Avengers stuff now that, you know, but Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, lunchboxes, all that stuff, that shit sells like crazy and always has. So, like, DC's had the more marketable, merchandisable characters for a long time. They have it all under one studio. It should be easy synergy. This should be money in the bank. And yet... Yeah. 
somehow Marvel, who had went bankrupt in his 90s, had all its shit in everybody else's houses. Like, remember that bag I gave you? Like, uh, my clothes and shit? Like, I said I would leave here, like, back in 1994. You know, like, has managed to collect everything back together, pull it back together, even when it couldn't get over the humps of stuff that it couldn't, you know, do full universe, and become a smash hit. Meanwhile, DC's just always in disarray, so... I mean, and, I mean, until actually Warner Brothers and Warner Media and Time Warner gets itself like actually organized as a company, like DC is just going to be that redheaded stepchild that just gets lost in the divorce all the time, right? Like, yeah, I mixed a lot yeah. of metaphors there, but you know what I mean. Uh, tonight's drink will be a Paloma. Uh, yeah, extra. My wife got COVID <laughs> unexpectedly, so oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I have no. to finish everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We doing that. <laughs> Shit. It's going around. It's been, right? it's been a Tuesday. Not me, not Comic Con guy. Yeah, wife. I can't believe that. I still can't believe that between like your wife and I didn't go to Comic Con, we got COVID, and you were like out there on the front lines and like managed to to avoid it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's pretty just, good. Yeah, I gotta get that immune system up. But, <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, it's not gonna change. And like, like I said, it, it's just I just shake my head now because. Yeah, we can't, like I said, I'm not joking. Like, we, we don't even believe it when we see shit with our eyes. We go into WBDC movies and we're like, mm, that's not the movie I saw. Like, that's not yeah. the movie. Like, and so, like, I don't know when that changes. <laughs> when I'm, the fucking executive board. Now, this guy. Let's talk about who's there now. Uh, David. Zaslav. Zaslav, yeah. Oof, that Eastern European slant. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's a lot that we could unpack here. Um. I don't think, I mean, from just what the feel of it is right now is this guy came in and looked at the plan and was like, so you're going woke with it? Like you're going Latina Batgirl, Latina Supergirl, all this stuff of people people don't know. Yeah, that sounds cool and all. You know what? I like classic movies that make money with big stars. That sounds good two <laughs> yeah he's like that you do see this great you see everybody's talking about this black adam trailer and stuff right like he's he's like we got the rock over here and you guys are casting you know these like supporting characters in these like movies that are gonna go to disney or gonna go to like discovery plus and stuff or not just that Max I, and stuff. <clears throat> I, I think from the business perspective and this has been reported for months now i think it's a weird position well, there's this endless layers of Warner Brothers leadership controversy over the years. You look up uh, our boy Kevin T and what he did a couple years ago. Um, but uh, there's um, when he came in, the first thing he did was like, was separate it. He's trying to separate the whole company into three divisions. They're literally, and they always reference the Disney model, right? They got the Pixar division, the Star Wars Lucasfilm division. They got the Marvel Studios division. Each one reports to one person. There's a very clear figurehead in each, right? It's an assembly line. Disney animation, Pixar, you know what I mean? So they're trying to do the same thing over there where they have their typical live, big live action films under Warner Brothers and New Line. Then they have their DC thing, which they do to their credit, like we're saying. They do believe that's a way, way bigger opportunity and a massive IP they're not taking advantage of. And then on the side, they have the Warner's animation group, right? So think of it as three divisions versus Disney's five or whatever. And they want their own quote unquote Kevin Feige under the DC division to start it fresh. I, I honestly think. He's coming in there with a big fucking butcher knife, and he's like, I don't give a shit about any of this. We're going to restart. And I th- the only reason he can't restart right now is because we got – he's inherited this problem, which is, to me has always been a problem under the DC universe, where like there's five different production companies all vying for budgets. 
and marketing dollars to make products, right? You get the Berlanti productions, you get JJ Ames in there, you got seven bucks productions with The Rock, like all these different little sub companies. And like, how, how the fuck do you create a cohesive universe in that system? Well, the pitch was right after the Justice League mess, they weren't. They're just going to take. They're going to do the quote unquote filmmaker friendly approach and just take do lower budgets for everything. Deathstroke, make all these cool movies, and they kind of fucked it all up again. Double fucked it, and so that never happened either. So now I think he's going to go back to the Marvel plan. We're like, hey, let's just finish this run. They'll get Aquaman two out somehow. I do not know what's going to happen to the Flash, but to me in my head, it's crazy to cancel Batgirl and let the Flash go, given the controversies around that. But I don't know. It's two hundred million dollars in the bank. You know what I mean? They already spent it, so um, that's another problem. Uh, so, and, and they have Wonder Woman 3 probably going to happen with Patty whenever they finish their other project, right? So I think once that's done, if they've talked about trying to make a Superman happen, a new Superman, I think they're just going to restart. Once they get rid of this shit, they're going to restart from the beginning, new figurehead, restart the franchise from scratch, right? The CW Arrowverse shit will be done. Titans will be done. You know, all that stuff will be done. And the movies control, will be oh, yeah. Done. Oh, that's dead. Control, yeah. And now they can start fresh and do it properly. Like, they keep talking about it um, and scrap all these old production deals that aren't going anywhere. Like, how many fucking DC shows has J.J. Abrams made under his big Warner Bros. deal for HBO Max? Yeah. None. None. Yeah, where's, where's, where's that Green Lantern show? Where's that Green Lantern show? show? Keep talking about it. Fucking where is it? That like, shit's going to be dead, too. I mean, exactly. It's all going to be dead. So they're going to. That thing I sounds say, way too complicated. Fuck it all. And on Twitter, yeah, I'm saying this like, I don't even know who Superman is right now. If there is going to be one, I don't know if it's one Batman, two Batman, or no Batman. I have no idea. Who's Joker? We have five of them. Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, like, this is all fucking stupid. So it's like, you can't play this game anymore because you're not hitting home runs. You could have done that, but they're not doing it anymore. But they can have their cake and eat it too. If they can, they can create a main universe and, and refresh it and still do their things like the Joker movie with Todd Phillips and its sequel and these little Elseworld stories. They can still find a way to do that, but they have to have some kind of quality flagpole franchise with some sort of semblance of connection to story building. Cause it's weird to me that they introduced the justice league and they just never exist again. No version of them. Right. Yeah. And don't give me this GSA shit that it's not the same. Like, like, you know what I mean? I'm talking about like you were saying the big Trinity getting green lantern, do it right. And I think they really want to do that. They're just stuck with this old shit. A third of the Snyderverse is still there. They got the, the Rock yeah. universe going on. And you know what I mean? And and whatever James Gunn is going to be doing going forward with his spinoffs of spinoffs of the, of the Suicide Squad, which funny enough happens to be the best thing they're making. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I, I don't know. So I'm very curious what this, this means. This guy but seems think- like – I mean this guy seems – I mean the writing seems on the wall. I did an article for comicbook.com DC about – you know whether Ben Affleck's Batman is a, is a factor on all this, because we've only heard one real update besides this, this week. And the other only thing we've heard is that Ben Affleck's going to appear in Aquaman in the last kingdom. I have a sneaking suspicion that this guy is going to go back to a model of just classic movie making, which is get big stars in big films and like go with that model. So I think, and I don't think he gives a fuck or is like, any kind of, you know, <laughs> geek bro. So I don't give, think he knows his Snyderverse or gives a fuck about a Snyderverse from a Gunverse. I think he looks at something like, you know, um, you know, the Justice League lineup right now. And it's like, okay, Gal Gadot's a motherfucking star. Jason Momoa is a star. Ben Affleck's a star. Henry Cavill is a star, which might be the best reason we ever get him back. And Ezra Miller's not a star. He's a liability um ray fisher you know good guy fucked himself he he said too much like so what we're gonna do is 
we're going to take our stars and we're going to keep them and we're going to get rid of these other guys. And guess what? The Flash is the ultimate get out of jail free card, right? You can spin that movie into whatever ending you want that just or, or just do some kind of event that is a reset of your universe, essentially. So you can just get out and just keep what you want and get rid of what you don't. Um, That's so, a good point. Yeah. Um, and, and like, I think they're going to do that. I, I think that instead of going through the whole controversy, like I'm wondering if Ben Affleck is coming back in slowly, but surely because they're like, Hey, guess what? It's a new day. It's a new dawn. And like, we're team Ben and like movie star. And we're going to let you make a big or get back to making like the kind of shit that you were originally excited about with this, you know, plus JLo's doing good work on the humanitarian front to get us all what we want. And you there know, you go. Yeah. That guy could be suiting back up. I mean, it is kind of weird that he's like making more appearances now. And especially right now, like when shit seems like so crazy. So I don't think like, yeah. And so I think they're just going to make it simple. I think they'll uh, still do things like let Joker Joker be a thing in its own thing or the Batman be its own thing. It's own thing. But I think there will be a main universe and I think there'll be, a lot more of the Snyderverse elements in terms of the actors that are involved, but I don't think that stylistically, like those guys are going to give a fuck about the Snyderverse. I think he's yeah. just going to be like, yeah, let's get you know Henry Cavill yeah. in a new Superman movie and let's make get it. Who's going to make it? Exactly. Uh, or yeah. just he'll be like, I just want a successful movie. Like, what are we going to do now? Will this all work out to successful movies? This mentality? I don't know. I don't know. I wasn't sure that what they were going to do was going to work out. They had a lot of things they had to really sell fans on a new Batgirl, a new Supergirl, and like whatever was going to happen in the Flash. Having a DC universe and the rumors we had that Batgirl and Supergirl would take up and like take the place of Batman and Superman was already kind of like, yeah. okay, um, I get it, but like, I don't know if you, I would bet my chips on that roulette table, but like, you know. So I don't know, but it it hasn't felt like a stable plan has been in place ever since Batman and Superman got fucked with. I mean, at least with Man of Steel, like we felt like there was a plan in place and like we were and we had the vision and we were all excited because we saw a LexCorp, you know, satellite in the end there. And we're like, oh, shit, this is really going to (laughs) happen. We're going to that Justice League and now the Kryptonians and all this stuff. And that looks pretty cool, like established this aesthetic. But now it's just like, yeah, we're just out here. And if a DC movie comes along and it's halfway decent and does well, we're all like, look at that fucking unicorn. (laughs) Where did that come from? (laughs) Yeah. How did that get in here? Somebody yank its head. Are you sure that's not just a horse with a horn taped on? (laughs) (laughs) It's crazy when you look at the list of things that was supposed to come out, um, you know, that have been canceled and even the things that are still like on the table. So, you know, canceled, we had Cyborg, we had Green Lantern Corps, we had Justice League Dark, we had Batgirl, New Gods, uh, the Amazon spinoff. We also had The Trench, which was, you know... I mean, I'm not sure that was ever real, but yeah, that was announced. <laughs> the Trench was, yeah, I mean, The Trench was... Like I think James Wan, no, but I think James Wan said that. I think that was real at one point. Yeah, yeah. there's a... Well, yeah. There's I other think, stories related to that, <laughs> but yeah. It speaks, to, it speaks to what Kofi was saying about just, like, what was the plan? And it was kind of like, for a while, it was like, well, we just made a really successful movie... So how can we get more out of it? Well, you know, like, let's do a spinoff of The Trench. And it's like, well, where does that fit in? And it's like, who cares? It doesn't matter. But the upcoming projects we have, we have The Flash, which is like, you know, TBD, exactly what happens there. We have Blue Beetle. We have Aquaman 2, um, The Batman 2, which, uh, and you know, Wonder Woman 3 eventually is 
is Michael B. Jordan's Superman project like still out there? Like I can't that one. That's pre merger. I don't think that's probably in the cards right now. Yeah. It could be. Who knows? Yeah, and then we have Amanda Waller spinoff. I mean, they were getting Tana Tanahisi Coates. I mean, that's not like a light hire. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, that's not someone who you just are like go cast some big guys and make me an awesome Superman movie. That's a guy who's going to want some like interesting creative control and stuff over his movie. But I don't know if woke DC is still a thing, man. You know, I don't feel like this guy's the guy. Like, I just don't feel like he's on like Walter Hamada and them. Like, I got it. You know, like, I don't feel like this is going to be the same. Like, I don't uh, think this guy's going to be throwing the the franchise budget. I think you're going to see Batgirl again eventually in like a Ben Affleck Batman movie or some shit. And she's going to be plucky little ginger Barbara Gordon. And, you know, I think it's just going to be like that. And I'm not saying that in like a weird way. I think he's just going to go with the, I think we're going to be go back to simple, like let's keep it. Yeah. It's a traditional traditional. model, right? Yeah. Yeah. Unless we know there's a demographic that's really going to fucking fuck with this. Like, let's keep it traditional. Let's just keep it simple. Like, get big stars in there. Get me Bruce Howard. She's got red hair. Do you believe, because a lot of people were saying that the reason that Affleck was showing up was just because the timing of the movie is all messed up now, right? So So, so, Flash was supposed to come out and we would have had Keaton show up at the end of Aquaman. Now that the Flash is, you know, delayed indefinitely, you have to have at the end of Aquaman. You have to have Batman show up, so it has to be Bruce Wayne's Batman or not right. Bruce Wayne's Affleck. That's Batman. why they shot it now, like so fucking late. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but yeah, oh, that yeah. was the rumblings online about why they had to do the Ben Affleck thing, and he kind of did it as a favor. But the J Lo factor is an interesting one because he also, in the same time period, reconnected with our man Kevin Smith, and, and I think he has an appearance in Clerks Three, right? So yeah. Uh, He's back out there in all these franchises, man. But uh, yeah, maybe J Lo was just like, yeah, like, J Lo was yeah. just like, look, dude, like, well, I don't, you, you get to be Batman, like, why are you being all cranky about this? Like, He's happy, man, yeah, that's why. Yeah, yeah. Um, man, what a just the general back tattoo is away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I that's like. Right. I was genuinely excited though for Batgirl. Like, I mean, you know, like, I, I dude, don't know. we all were. It was Michael Keaton. Brendan Fraser as fucking Firefly. Firefly yeah. And like, and Leslie Grace looked great in the suit and looked like she had put yeah. in the work. Like, and those guys, like, uh, Bilal and I don't want to butcher their names either, but the, the Bad Boys 3 guys look like they were on a hot streak right now. Like, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Coming into it. They didn't, I, I'm, a, I'm with Ben, like, or Rob, I forget which one of you said it, but like, I would, I'm hella curious to just see what they have done and just to see like you know be able to judge for myself and be like i mean there were some shots of bad boys 3 that were like ooh, that was trash like i yeah, didn't like it when mike larry got shot mike larry had looked terrible but you know yeah. there were also some things that but overall there were also some good things that were great and they were just starting out and like you said miss marvel was really well done so yeah yeah i'm kind of curious to see what they did um what they shot and i it's the funniest thing is the ironic thing is like, I'm sure this is like some executive somewhere is like, you know, really pleased with themselves. Like, I got a steady hand on the wheel, like, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, but all you've done again, bro, like all you've done is create another release hashtag. Save. Yeah. It's already out there. Save Batgirl. Like, you know, all that. Like, you've just created another hashtag movement. You're turning DC into a reactionary, you know, hashtag cuck like that basically 
doesn't release shit until everybody yells at them for enough <laughs> years to put it out. And they're like, fine. And then everybody's yeah. like all finally entertained by what they reluctantly release in some, you know, passive aggressive way. Yeah. So, there you go. We'll hit Suicide terrible Squad. But we're going to love that Ayer cut. I love that. <laughs> Zack Snyder's Justice League 10 times more than Justice League. And uh, yeah, when Batgirl's finally released, say Batgirl hashtag. Like, I'm, I'm going to be I'm going to be happy. They uh, are in a super tough spot because the optics are just endlessly bad. And you have like going back a few years ago, you have Christopher Nolan, of all people, saying Warner Bros. used to be a filmmaker friendly studio. And they're not. So he's working with Universal now. And then like you're saying with the DC movies, they've interfered with almost every single one of them, except as far as I know, Matt Reeves and James Gunn's films. I feel like every other one was interfered with. So um, even Patty said that with the first one, right? So like, uh, yeah. and now you, they're, they're hijacking and canceling these films. So like the, the, it's not just the fans and the hashtag movements, which I'm sure are, are annoying as fuck for them internally. And the, from a, from a publicity perspective, but it's the creator community. It's the filmmakers on Twitter being like, Whoa, this ain't cool, man. It's like Warner Brothers is like the last people you want to work with, man, unless you're just vying for any, you know, a job. But yeah. so the optics of from every perspective, industry and uh, audience is very, very bad. But I also think like, while I don't agree with this and we don't have any context, I'm sure we'll learn a lot more in the coming months, but like, I, I do want to see the, quality of this product uh it could just be a simple thing where they don't want to get buried in these little sub franchises and have to like feel obligated to make sequels and spinoffs they just want to kind of throw it all out now uh but these are like 100 million dollar write downs that they're just like including as part of their merger costs which is yeah. insane um but yeah I, I do think they want to just get rid of all the current shit and do what kind of kofi was suggesting just to, just to keep what works go big stars start fresh they have to but again you're, st- you're stuck with the sub franchises of the Joker and, and whatever James Gunn's doing and Matt Reeves' universe. So I don't know, man. There's there's no winning here, and they cannot. They cannot. No, there is winning. Well. Like just just don't be stupid. Like over on Comic Book uh, Nation, the other podcast, the one I host, like one of our biggest episodes ever, and like we crushed Twitch on this was having Joe Manganiello on, and after the release of Zack Snyder's Justice League, and we were just kind of talking shop with him about the what ifs of the Snyderverse and like what he would have done. And one thing he revealed was that went like completely viral was, you know, congratulations to one of our only viral moments on comic book nation guys. We did it. Um, <laughs> was, uh, this thing he was saying about how he had this kind of synopsis for this death stroke. It was either the death stroke movie or the Ben Affleck Batman movie. I forget which one it was. Uh, go watch that interview. Comic Book Nation's great. But um, he basically was saying uh, there was a whole kind of plot line. I think it might have been the Deathstroke movie of Bad Girl coming, kind of having her big debut in the DCEU and kind of coming in and being somebody who helps Batman escape from, you know, Deathstroke coming to town and kind of basically springing this gauntlet for Batman to have to endure and Batman kind of taking a lot of the beating and nearly kind of getting taken out, but Batgirl saves his ass and like Barbara Gordon steps in and, and handles Slade and, and starts that whole kind of rivalry with the younger heroes and stuff like that. And it sounded dope as fuck. And I was just like, yeah, why not? Like, why aren't we having things like this as like a $60 million movie or now a streaming series? Like Joe Manganiello, a perfect level of star who 
perfectly affordable, perfectly able to bring people in. People heard that. Like I said, it went viral. People wanted to see Barbara Gordon not just have some plucky origin story, but be able to make a debut in a badass way. Like, I mean, just kind of like repeating. I mean, you're pulling the Wonder Woman trick again, but like that Wonder Woman trick is still dope as fuck too. Like when she jumped out with a shield. So having her jump in and save Batman and be able to be a formidable person to take on Slade Wilson and do all that. Like these are the ideas you need to go back to, like go back to these ideas. There were so many good ideas for just like perfect things that would have been good now for either mid budget movies that could make a whole lot of money or street now streaming content that you can put out to kind of boost subscribers, whatever you're, you know, whatever you're trying to do here. So I think they need to just tap into some of those ideas, get good filmmakers, become the new Netflix. You know what I mean? Like get good filmmakers doing shit for you. That's going to be good. You know, be smart with the budgets and, and make some good streaming content, but also really some of these things in theaters too, like, and, and keep up, and don't be and make your big franchise with the big main things, but know your one advantage over Marvel is you can dip into Jokers, win Oscars, and do all that stuff. Whereas, you know, Feige and them aren't. So, you know, yeah, that's my true. advice. And that's just because I've had enough of this Paloma now that I'm giving you free <laughs> consultation. It's starting to come together, yeah. The idea that's true, though, they do need to do like very obvious things that are big wins for fans. And like that's a good one where you just green light something like Deathstroke, use it as a launch pad, or or the that if Ben Affleck is you know a dream comes true, does a Batman movie, and you integrate it all into one. Deathstroke, Deathstroke is in it. Use that big fucking budget film to introduce a Batgirl and spin that off proper the way you're describing. But also do something like bring Cavill back as a Superman and, and restart that. Like you can you can do these big obvious wins that'll immediately. Yeah, turn. If it were me, like I would just be I would go get a guy and be like, look. How have they been fucking up here? Like, I'm going to delegate. How have you been noticing all the fuck-ups? And, like, put it together for me. And, like, let's just patch the things we can patch to make some big wins. Like you said, get Affleck back with Manginello and do a Batgirl, you know, and do that movie that everybody wanted to see. Everybody in the world wanted to see that Batman versus Deathstroke movie. Like, go do those two. Do that. doesn't have to be crazy big. Just make it, like just straight up focused on the two of them fucking having a cat and mouse fight. Introduce Batgirl, spin that off, go get back Kathy Yon, get back those birds of prey. People that people love say Margot Robbie, get down on your knees and be like, I'm sorry. We have fucked you so many times in this whole thing. Like, yeah. th- like three times over, we have fucked you in this franchise, but please we're going to do it right now. And like may take that Batgirl character from that awesome Batman Deathstroke movie, link her up with the actual birds of prey, make an actual birds of prey movie do some of that Gotham City Sirens crossover shit we once heard about. You know, have Harley Quinn go where she belongs. Have her get with Poison Ivy in live action. You know, do all that. You know, I mean, these are easy things to do that you can make big wins off. Like, yeah. easy. Yeah. It's shit yeah, the fans well. have been thirsty for for years. All you gotta do is read the internet a little bit. Comicbook.com, yeah. ScreenRant.com, excellent places to start. That's it. I, uh, good. No, I was gonna say the one last thing is, I think a lot of it depends on timing of it all of course but i think the biggest question mark is who's going to be in charge of the dceu which no one is currently so once they lock in that figurehead the decision maker who does know more than zazla probably does then we can kind of see what the plan is and also what discovery is going to be willing to green light like you were saying kofi are going to keep it traditional or are going to they're going to go wild are they going to go back to a filmmaker focus and let everyone do whatever they want with with controlled budgets but more creative freedom i don't know well hopefully they figure that out soon Somebody Sorry, get ben. David Yates. No, I'm just kidding. 
Yeah. Yeah, no kidding. I yeah, I, it's so weird though because I weren't the test screenings for this like relatively positive. Like I thought, yeah, it was supposed to be good. People, it had good test screenings. That is facts. Like because that that's girl. like it's so weird because that was you know the narrative that started coming out afterwards was or after today was kind of like oh people were you know like sources close to the production were saying it was irredeemable and stuff and it's like man we would have heard about that if it was irredeemable. Like this movie, like you know. Morbius is a thing that was put into theaters, you know, and I know it's a different studio, but yeah, Sony's playing a different game. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but it's just I, like I just I can't understand. I don't know. I just in general, I just feel really bad for Leslie Grace because she was such a like positive and kind of like exciting person to be like cast in that role, and she was like really owning it and getting you know saying all the right things, like knowledgeable about the comics had sort of the I what I thought to be kind of the right spirit and, and energy for that character. And I liked the take. I liked the idea of her being kind of a biker chick and, you know, Brendan Fraser as Firefly sounded amazing. It's just, man, that's a bummer. But it falls into that wasteland, like you were saying, Kofi, of just, I just want to see it now. Um, and, you know, hopefully someday it'll see the light of day one way or another, but, or at least we'll, you know, get a sense of what it would have been like, but. Man, what a... You didn't yeah. just cancel Batgirl DC. You just gave it its biggest promo push ever. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Now, I mean, yeah, now I'm even more interested in seeing it than I was well, before. It's the 2022 New Mutants, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Boy. Um, all right, well, we've seen some movies so that we wanted to we wanted to talk about. Which one of these do you want to... Which one of these do you guys want to hit first? You want to hit Nope since all three of us have seen Nope? Uh, nope. Nope. Have you seen the Gray Man? Have you all seen the Gray Man? I didn't see the Gray Man. How have you not seen the Gray Man? I had, you know, I was was down with the, I was down with the COVID. Me and COVID were, uh, I was watching. What else were you doing besides watching movies? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got this kid now, so you know, I gotta like. Oh, yeah. don't you'll see? You'll see the scene. We got two each week when the wife's down. I'm in year seven, bro. Like. Let me holler. I'm almost a decade in. There's no, there's no excuse. There's no excuse. <laughs> no, um, it's fine. Um, then we'll start. Nope. Let's just, yeah, yeah. let's just, let's just hit that. Um, all right. Well, so I had reviewed it for Screen Rant. I think I gave it a four. You know, you guys can make fun of me, but I think I gave it a four out of five. Yeah, every movie's a four. We get it. I know. Well, yeah. Bullet Train got a three point five today. So, oh shit, um, it must be terrible. Yeah, <laughs> you the fucking Peter Travers of this shit. <laughs> um but but yeah in general like i i dug it i think it's my second favorite of jordan peele's like you know kind of horror trilogy and um i you know there was a lot of stuff that was kind of like i think people were disappointed with spoiled in the trailers and everybody was getting bent out of shape about that but even going into it you know and then seeing what the film is actually about and the the take on extraterrestrials and ufos and stuff Man, there is some haunting stuff in this movie that I will never forget, and it's just like a genius way of kind of taking the the kind of canon of UFOs and stuff and and twisting it around. Um, but the shots of that thing moving in and out of the clouds and hearing like the people screaming inside of it, and that being like you know the way that you're sort of tracking the thing in some of the shots is something I will never forget um, and thought was just so, so cool. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I really dug it. I, I feel like there were, 
you know, I'm still kind of a little bit torn on whether or not the Gordy stuff works for me. There's, you know, there's sort of a subplot that kind of connects, connects sort of some thematic motifs that, um, that I like, but I don't know if it, if it totally like connects in a way that I felt was as, as coherent as maybe what was in us and, and get out. But, but man, I dug it. I'm curious, uh, I'm curious what you guys thought. Cause neither of you, you guys just kind of went and saw it this past week. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious what you guys thought. Uh, Kofi, you want to go? Um, yeah, I went to go see Nope with my brother and my father as a kind of outing for my father has been, you know, helping out a lot while we've been traveling and stuff. Um, but, uh, I'm a big fan of Jordan Peele. I have been since, you know, Key and Peele days. I was a big fan of Get Out right early on. I was, I even am a big fan and apologist to anybody who doesn't like it for us. Um, Nope was I'm just going to be straight up. It was a miss for me. Uh, Ooh. I knew that when my brother and my father, you know, about, I thought it was much later in the movie. It was only 30 minutes, but had to both violently shake me awake because they said my snoring was embarrassing to the oh, no. you know, people gathered in this theater. I was snoring so loudly. Um, and that about sets my pace. And then I looked at my dad was making fun of me quietly. And then I was just like, dude, like, is there anything? Did I actually miss anything? And he's like, no, it is rather slow, isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I was like, okay, good. Um, so yeah, for that like two minutes I was out. Um, and I'm not going to crap on it because I, I love Jordan Peele as a film filmmaker. And I think he, even when he's missing, he's swinging like for something ambitious and different and a twist on genre that we, that we don't usually see coming. Or even if we see it coming in the premise, like it, it still is a different experience for you as a film viewer. But um, yeah, this just didn't this just didn't connect with me. And you know, I posted it; nobody really cared about this when I posted it. But I don't think people understood it really. Um, and I said it was time to have the conversation about Jordan Peele versus Shyamalan, um, yeah. because these are very two kind of out of the blue auteurs that kind of showed up at different, uh, different periods. And they have an interesting kind of three film comparison right now. Like when you take six cents to get out, uh, unbreakable to us and, um, signs Science. to, uh, yeah. yeah, to Nope. And so I was just kind of really asking myself like, Ooh, and there's a lot about Nope that reminds me of Shyamalan in the way it's shot in, in the sense that it, it is a movie that takes this, almost agonizing time to go from like pan from like a character to like what they're actually looking at. And that's, you know, Shyamalan taking from Tarantino, taking from Hitchcock, taking from, you know, it's a long line there, but it was very noticeable in this film. Like it's used a lot, this kind of slow pan before revealing like what the character is seeing or looking at and doing all that. Um, and it is slow and Daniel Kalula's character is very slow and I get it. He is this kind of modern version, black version of a cowboy and he has that cowboy spirit and there is, and I get what Nope is doing. Like I get it. I'm not somebody who's weirded out when I see the, you know, um, daft punk guy come, come through, to you know for tmz or whatever he was doing like that whole sequence like i get the message of the movie which is you know 
looking at and, you know, possibly critiquing our modern culture of camera voyeur obsessed, you know, influencing, selling things, selling content world with the kind of old cowboy naturalist, you know, a lot of great naturalist shots in this movie of pretty prairie kind of life and all that stuff. Um, And the two siblings, I get it. I get why Kiki Palmer's character is the modern, you know, always vaping content creator, you know, would be influencer. While Daniel Kaluuya's character is, you know, this, like I said, the cowboy tied to the earth, the animals and that whole kind of spirit and all that. And so I got all that. I get it. I I've done my due diligence in, in studying film and all that guys. Like I get it. Um, and I get what Peel's commentary is just like I liked some of the commentary I thought about us and, you know, what us was trying to say about people and, you know, disenfranchised anyway. So I got it, but it overall as an experience, like it was just not as engaging to me. It just, I mean, it put me to sleep, like quite literally put me to sleep. And I stayed awake for the movie after that. Uh, Cause you know, I try to be respect, like, I mean, plus paid money and I want to be respectful. And so, I did sit up and make sure I gave the rest of it a good viewing. And um, there were a lot of things I liked about it. I like the, uh, for lack of a better term, but they're like the radio shack kid who, who just yeah, wanted to be like involved in their whole thing. That kid was a great character. Um, there are some great sequences in there. Like every time they actually, you know, bring the title of the movie into the film is actually uh, an almost yeah. jarringly, take you out of it for a minute, like funny sequence when yeah. things are usually quiet and heavy. Um, Kiki Palmer is a one woman entertainment show. She's great. Like, and yeah, she just has that like energy, almost like a, her character. She really does have that kind of energy. Um, and there's a lot that was great. Like you said, the whole twist with what this entity actually is and how it operates and plays with your, our thoughts about UFOs. Um, now that I'm thinking about it, it is kind of scary too to think like yeah. all these things we think UFOs up there are actually like, <laughs> yeah, that is a uh, pretty freaky, but, um, so I get all that. There was a lot I liked, but like the question, I think you really, if people can say they like a movie, but the question I, I would ask is, okay, if I got, if I got it for you right now, would you sit down and watch it again? Like, and I don't need to sit down and watch Nope again for a very, very long time. Yeah, I can I can see that. I think I enjoyed the experience of watching it more than like I would be eager to like revisit it at this point. Um, I can I can sort of appreciate that. It is a bit slower and more methodical um, than than the other two. So okay, so Rob, that's interesting because you know I've fallen asleep at least three, four maybe movies that we've covered on podcast X. I had to see Doctor Strange and Lightyear and I forget the other one like, like twice to kind of comprehend the third act, but. Um, I wish you hadn't said that last part, Kobe, because I do want you to see it again. I saw this one completely by myself two days ago. Uh, and I saw like a 1 p.m. afternoon show, which I never do. And I, I, it's only because I'm on vacation for the two days this week that I was able to do that. Um, typically, I have to see the late, 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 late show, and I'm already burnt out and tired, like when we record these. Um, but if I think that was the way to watch it for me because I, I found it quite beautiful and gripping in, in almost all of its sequences, especially uh, all the sequences involving our main two characters, Odie and Emerald. Um, 
at home on the ranch. Uh, basically, two leads doing anything. The only time the pacing gets really off because it is a longer movie, and I understand it, it does feel slow at times, but I was kind of in it for the ride just because what Jordan Peele does in all of his movies, but in this one it really stands out, is the attention to detail. So all the little character bits in every scene, everything they're doing, it makes him they, – they, they, he lets the talent – become real people and live the lives of the real people. And that's especially true with the two leads on the ranch and everything they do. But also just for me, <laughs> this is a weird thing to say, but having growing up on a ranch, all the little details of like the horses and how he treats them and, and, and Daniel Kaluuya's character, how he's like trying to manage the horse on the Hollywood set and how, how like Jordan Peele shows behind the scenes of the TV sets and Hollywood sets. Like there's, it just feels so fucking real. Um, and when he takes you through that, always through a character's perspective, I, I'm totally in it. Um, I really enjoyed that. It does not work, however, and Ben, I think you were saying this, for Steven Yeun's character that well, um, both in terms of the Gordy flashbacks and to him when he's just his rancher, Jupe, whatever his name is, uh, on the screen. And that whole like, subplot, while I understand it plays with the idea of like the theme of we are obsessed with spectacle, we are absolutely fixated on not just staring at a thing, whether it's good or bad, but also trying to capture it, right? And the theme of the bad miracles and like that that Gordy is it Gordy or am I saying that right? Yeah, uh, it's Gordy. The Gordy story and, and that weird like MacGuffin of the shoe that stands up and it makes no sense and he, and, he, and the camera fixates on that. Like that's like the embodiment of like what a bad miracle is, but it doesn't actually mean anything. It's not good or bad, which plays to what what Daniel Coolio's character says later on in the film, right? when it comes to this alien creature, it's, it's, it's not good. We shouldn't, you know what I mean? Um, I, I, I thought that was really cool. And all the slow panning shots worked for me because the sound design, and maybe this was just the theater I was in. I was in an AVX screen, but the sound was so crazy. Like when there's so many shots where it's left up to the imagination because you're just seeing one of the leads, you're seeing perspective from them from behind running and just trying to look back or not look at all in this case, especially in the second and third act, uh, or they hide in shelter and you just, it, the camera just stays on them for like sometimes like minutes and it cuts to another character. You're not actually seeing anything except a person running in an open area or in a shelter, but you're totally hooked because of the sound design of this fucking creature. And yeah. later on, man, like you said, you hear like the people inside of it screaming sometimes. Yeah. And there's that gnarly sequence where it just dumps the remains of that all over their house. And their yeah. Room, which is one of the most <laughs> wild things I've ever seen on screen, especially when you put Kiki Palmer and the actor who plays Angel in that house reacting to it. It was yeah. just phenomenal horror, weird, crazy fucking psycho shit and the way they react to it the day after like oh yeah your house is covered in blood and there's fucking things sticking out of the roof it's like it's the way they play that off is so well done um but but yeah the pacing does take a hit but to, to me like i actually thought this was an amazing theatrical experience I, I really 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 dug it um and i think i would agree with you, your ranking a little more ben i think get out is like pretty perfect us i'm okay on I, when I saw it the second time, I kind of dug it a little more. Um, but but this one, I thought that was an amazing theatrical experience, and I really recommend people see it. So, um, yeah, but it is long; it's, it's two hours plus. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Fun fact: my ranch, my current, my family's current ranch, was uh, scouted for by Netflix for the second season of The Umbrella Academy. To which we said no, but also I reported that Netflix was scouting for season two, and then Netflix contacted me saying, "Hey, we didn't we didn't officially announce season two, and they got really upset with me. Uh, and I emailed them back saying, "I never said your 
officially announced season two. I said you're scouting locations for season two. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like you've told that story on this podcast before. Have I? Oh, I apologize. It's just we never get to talk about ranches that often. So I'll just. <laughs> true. It's, yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange the amount of times we've been able to work ranches into this. Uh, I'll bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, love it. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I I like it. I definitely see like what you know you're saying as well, Kofi. I think there's uh, it's doing something that is is different than the other two in a way that I do. I agree. It kind of got off to a bit of a slower start and it was a bit more kind of, um, I mean, it was a slower burn. I think I just, I, I really loved the sequences of, you know, the, the entity like kind of stalking them. And, and I just thought that it was such a unique, a unique take and, and really kind of horrifying to think about in re just like you were saying, recontextualizing like, the way we think about UFOs and, and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely walked out of it kind of feeling like it may have been, a that in some respects, you know, like Jordan Peele's like reach kind of, a, you know, like over exceeded his grasp or something in this one, because it, yeah. it plays with a lot of thematic and motif material, even just down to the shot of, you know, the first, the first film footage is, you know, this, this black man riding on a horse and the end is, you know, this sequence that Kiki Palmer's character captures of a series of images that form kind of a moving picture in this really rudimentary way. It's like, yeah, I get, I get the motifs and I get all the parallels, but at the same time, like there's, it's a long movie for what actually happens in it. And it's because it spends a lot of time kind of embracing some of its, some of these kind of weird ideas and motifs that don't, I don't think connect by the end of it very well. And I think I, cause I was just listening to my own and kind of what Rob is mentioning some things, but um, I think for me, I think if some weirdly like the editing of this movie is just what does it for me. I think yeah, just I could see that. the way the story is put together and unfolds, like it, it kind of like, you, you stack up this thing like we got to be getting somewhere really profound here, right? Like we got all these things building in. It feels like a novel. Like, like you said, it starts with a subplot about Gordy, this show animal. And there is this whole motif about, you know, animals and being part and being put into this artificial world of like Hollywood and cameras and all that stuff and, and what it does to them. And, you know, yeah, I, I get all that, but, um, it's just the way the movie's put together, the way it's kind of cut together and just some of the choices in the shots and the sequences, I think just didn't quite do it for me or I thought it could have been tighter in some ways. Yeah. I mean, one thing that we didn't even talk about and we don't need to waste a significant amount of time talking about it is, you know, the, the sequence with like Michael Wilcott, Wincott's uh, like director that basically just like, you know, I don't know. I mean, we're, we've kind of been dancing around spoilers and stuff, but the end of the movie sort of sees them trying to film this, you know, this UFO and they get all of this great footage showing it. And then this guy just goes to try and get this impossible shot gets like eaten by the UFO basically. And it completely wrecks all the footage that they were supposed to get. Like, I didn't understand, you know, like I get, he was supposed to be an auteur filmmaker and, it also plays off of what you guys were talking about, about kind of the influencer culture and, you know, the documenting of it's kind of like he's almost like an old school documentarian and and stuff. But, but very specifically, every scene where they're trying to hire him to come shoot this thing, he's watching footage of predators that he's shot. 
Yeah. So this is the ultimate predator, right? Yeah. Which is how Daniel Kaluuya's character, OJ, like, f- figured it out how to avoid yeah. you don't You don't stare a predator in the eye. That's, yeah. that's how you're going to get bit, right? And that's the thing with the horse in the studio. You don't stare it in the eyes. Even I know that. Um, although, you know, my horses, you can stare in the eye. They're not like monsters. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and the other part of it is when he – that was a funny scene when he ran up to it to try to get the impossible shot, right, which plays yeah. into the theme. Um, he gets sucked into it and eaten. But the camera on the rig was still there. That shit got ruined when Angel started looking up when he wasn't supposed to, and all yeah, that shit got blown away. Yeah, so yeah, it, it was a separate camera, but the first one probably got wrecked and all that shit. Too. Yeah, yeah, and it's also – I think it was also kind of made clear that the monster doesn't process mechanical – or metallic yeah. things like yeah. and spits it back out. Yeah, um, but it. like, yeah, he, but I mean, I got that because that was like one of the few moments that actually culminated that I did really get and respond to because first of all, that guy, that actor, I've always forget his name, but, uh, he's yeah, such Michael a, Hunt, yeah. yeah, he's, he's such a great the voice fucking character yeah. actor. Yeah. Um, um, but, um, his whole thing about being like one of those directors who's just so into, like you said, cap the theme of capturing spectacle and, and wowed by that, that he would just go to his grave, like just doing that and being like, look like true to that. I, I got, and he was dying anyway. So like, you know, he was just like, fuck it. I'm what, this is how I want to go out and like yeah. I get that part. Um, to see if he could just get it on camera. Um, but, uh, and, you know, shout out to all the guys. There are a lot of guys who do die like that. I mean, war reporters, people like that, who cameramen yeah. who go down all the way just to get the shot. And, you know, I, I saw that. And, and I don't think it was like making fun of that or anything. Like, I think it is a complicated thing, but like they handle it like with a sense of reverence that like, you know, getting these shots is, I think Jordan Peele as a filmmaker thinks that getting these shots is in, like, and somewhat important, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's kind of like a weird rumination. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious if there's more to like Steven Yoon's arc than we, we saw that kind of tied all that together because Ren Schmidt is in this movie who like, you know, Rob will know from. For all all mankind. Mankind. Yeah. And I mean, she has like, yeah, I mean, she's not the most famous actress in the world, but like, why do you get her, to play two scenes where she's basically just standing in a hallway at one point or in an office at one point, you know, on the phone. And then the second time you see her, she's basically just kind of like part of this show and doesn't really do anything and then just gets eaten. Um, Like, I wonder if there were more scenes there that kind of built out some of what that, that Steven Unark was, you know, was supposed to be doing, but um but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I dug it. I still think it's. I still think people should check it out. I think it's cool, especially if you're, you know, kind of into UFOs and you've liked Jordan Peele's other movies. I think it's well worth seeing. But but I understand why it's a bit why it's been a bit divisive and and everything because it it certainly isn't as as sort of straightforward. And I mean, Nope move like or not Nope. Sorry, Get Out moves at like a clip. Like that movie is fast. It's exciting. It's intense. This is much more. Um, it's much slower. And even, I mean, us moves pretty fast too, I would say once it gets going and this is definitely a bit more of a slow burn. Um, I'm also like, I'm going to be honest and this is a mini rant just for me, but I'm also kind of like the tired of the movies jerking with Hollywood's jerking itself off about being Hollywood. Like I was not, I was (laughs) not a fan of once upon a time in Hollywood either. Like, uh, I'm, I'm just, I love Tarantino and I love Jordan Peele, but I was not a fan of once upon a time in Hollywood either. Like, 
Yeah. Hollywood, and I don't spend a lot of time in Hollywood at all, but it's a weird place, man. A lot of dark shit happens in those hills. It's a lot of runaways and, you know, broken family people. There's a lot of weird stuff that happens in Hollywood. So I'm not always into this golden, you know, vision yeah, of it to begin with. Yeah. Um, we've known some things and had to sit on some things for many years about things but um yeah so i'm not about these movies that like you're like all whimsical you know nostalgia things about hollywood itself and in a weird way this is about that like i mean yeah it totally is for that sure. whole first act is just totally kind of established that that this is about yeah. and that this family is like all attached to the filmmaking industry. And, and there's a lot of industry stuff in this, right? Um, there's a lot of insider ball in this movie. Like I get why Rob enjoyed it. Like he said, I was listening to him and it was interesting and saying how he enjoyed it just as a, as a rancher on a whole different level. <laughs> um, I was like, you know, that's pretty fucking interesting because it is about ranching. It is about this thing. And like, you don't hear about it anymore or is not like in a, you know, in a world of influencers and TikTokers, is not like the go-to job to do. It's a it's an old noble profession, right? Like, yeah, it requires a lot of discipline and a lot of dedication, and it, it, it is a lifestyle. Yep. And that was like his, and I did like that because I like cowboy stuff, and so like I liked when Daniel Kaluuya's whole thing, when Kiki Palmer would be going on about running and or doing all the shit, and he'd be like, nope. And he would always just say like the cool cowboy shit, like, nope, I got like feed to do in the morning. Like I got hay to get out. I got this to do. I got, I got things to take care of. And, yeah. Like in that just kind of quiet cowboy way. And so I liked all that, but, um, I know, I don't know. I, I think I'm always just going to maybe be jaded about this entire era of filmmaking because I just think I see too many seams, like things that weren't able to come together as tightly as they could have in a normal filmmaking time period or process. But it's a lot of the editing, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'll say one more thing. The, the shots and Ben, you mentioned it twice. Like uh, I love especially shots where you're just looking up at the clouds and the camera's kind of moving with the character's yeah. like vision cone. Right. And like you're seeing nothing. You're just seeing like clouds most of the time, but this again, the sound effects are there. But every time you do see it and the sound kicks in, like when it bounces between clouds, it reminds me to go to Kofi's comparison of M. Night Shyamalan's signs. Uh, specifically the shot where the family's watching the TV of the birthday party in South yeah. America or whatever, and you see the fucking creature walk by in the background of the window and it the sound kicks in. It was like to me, that is like the equivalent feeling I had where I, I like almost jumped in my chair, my, my mouth is agape, like just like sh- Super impressed by that. And, and oh, they managed yeah. to do that multiple times in this film. Oh, yeah. That one did get me with that got everybody when uh, he goes into the barn at night. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. fucking faces. The prank. Yeah. The that was prank. creepy. Yeah. Oh, my oh, God. God. Yeah. And the things are just like moving, like poking the head out and like stuff. Yeah. And they're, like, yeah. <laughs> God, that's I said, what I but as I said, the movie was at its best whenever they actually did the corny thing of bringing the title of the movie into it. Yeah. It's true. Like, 100%. Yeah, it's just like, nope. Yeah, that's no, it. No, no. Like, <laughs> yeah, that, that sequence is like, you know, in hindsight, it means absolutely nothing, but it is, it is such a great sequence because at that point you have no freaking idea what's going on. And, you know, like, you know, it's a movie about probably like aliens and stuff and you see these little things and you're like, man, Jordan feels like 
he's going for it. There's like little, little green men kind of in this thing. And then, you know, obviously it turns out to be a prank, but when he's like, Nope. And he just turns around and starts running. I was like, man, yeah. And the way they did that, like with them bobbing their heads, like that shit's creepy. That's the stuff I don't like. I don't like weird body motion stuff. Like, yeah. That's yeah, it, yeah. But, uh, him in the, uh, he gets so, that moment in the car too. That's a lot like that as oh, well. Yeah, no, like, like when he's sitting inside and he locks the door. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah. and he's just talking to himself. He's like, nope, nope, nope. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know how real this is universally, but that is some real black shit. That was like real inside black baseball. Like that is some real black shit from the title of this movie down to those moments. I was like, yeah, yeah every black person in the theater was like, yep, that's exactly how you respond. Yes. Ex- yes. <laughs> you know, nope, yeah. nope, nope, nope. Not doing it. Like I'm out. <laughs> I love that. Run yeah, first. I love that. I'm out. We are yeah, bred. We're bred. I mean, just a maybe it's just a cultural thing. Like, yeah, we see something even remotely like it's fucked up, and we're like, eh, nope, yep, nope. nope. Yeah, I, uh, I like that. But we're not gonna I, be um, we're not gonna be that little blonde chick in the Jason movies. Like, is somebody down there? No, <laughs> <I'm out>. no. <laughs> like, nope. Um, um, cool. Well, you guys, uh, there were a couple other things you guys wanted to talk about that you had seen. Um, yeah, let's get to some of those, huh? Yeah. So, um, do you want to talk? Yeah, so uh, let's do Prey because uh, yeah, me and yeah. Rob have both seen Prey and we're kind of, uh, by the time you hear this, I think it'll still be early enough before it drops, right? Yeah, yeah I think it comes so. out Friday, I think, right? Yeah, but we're safe yeah. on Thursday, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, yeah, all right. So we're going to do something between a reaction and a review, uh, a revaction. Um, <laughs> so let's do Prey. Me and Rob have had a chance to see Prey, which is the latest entry in the Predator franchise uh, from Dan Trachtenberg, who is like weirdly so good at just kind of like weirdly coming into franchises and, and making these weird side, like their own little bubble chapters of things that uh, play upon the franchise. They are, but like tell these really great stories in and of themselves. Uh, He did 10 Cloverfield lane, which I constantly go back to as a movie. I like rewatch because it's just so good. It's like a weird movie of single setting movie with John Goodman putting in a great performance. Um, Yeah. But uh, yeah, that just took the whole Cloverfield thing in a whole different direction and, and surprised us. And this was a pleasant surprise, Prey. So backstory, um, Prey, I didn't know Disney was good enough to send me a screener of Prey very early. And they did this very slickly. They said uh, reactions will be up at a certain date and reviews will be up like right before it comes out on because it's a Hulu original. It's coming out on Hulu. And um the reactions date was during comic con and I don't, and I never read the fine print close enough to really realize it. And it was the secret like surprise screening at comic con this year was, uh, was prey. And so like my editors are coming to me, they're like, does anybody went out and see prey the next morning? Everybody's talking about prey. Like it's buzzing. Like, and I was just like looking through my mailbox and I just, I have three mailboxes. Okay. So I have my mailbox that was from screen rant days, which is the most over flooded thing. Like I get, hundreds of emails a day. I need to pay somebody just to read that alone. Then I have a comic book email. Then because comic got bought out by CBS and now Paramount, like I have a Paramount email, which all three of these have since become flooded for different eras of my career. Okay. So I don't know what's ever in there. I literally have to just theorize like what might be out there, type it into all three emails and see if I get anything back. <laughs> That's how I have to figure things out because I need a person to just read all these. I would need to hire somebody. 
uh, to do that. So I typed in pray and sure enough, I was like, Oh shit, they had sent that to me weeks ago. And like, I was like, Oh, I didn't even know I had this in like, yeah. And if I had actually read the fine print, I would have known it was a secret screening. So I made a commitment to sit down and watch it. I was like, okay. Cause I do, I, I love predator. Like predator is one of the movies that like, even my wife by now, I, I have indoctrinated her into like when we still had cable, like, Whenever Predator was on TV, I'd be like, all right, well, whatever we're going to do for a minute, we're going to stop. I got to watch some Predator. Like, and at least I'm getting like a good 45 minutes to an hour in of Predator. So I've seen that movie an insane amount of times. I've been there for every new Predator film. Um, I was actually started on Predator 2 and raised on that. And that's because I snuck down the stairs. And I think I tweeted this then. And <laughs> my parents had no idea I was in the back there. And I was just creeping over the couch while they were watching it one night. And I should not have done that because I was not prepared for Predator 2. Yeah, that's a gnarly movie for sure. <laughs> there were a lot of years I that I was scared in the inner city of thinking Jamaican gangs ran around skinning people and stuff. Like, yeah. I was just like, I was not prepared. That that vision of Detroit, or like I believe it's Detroit, like, yeah, I was not, I could not handle that. And that scene in the meatpacking plant, like, I just could not handle that either. So, um, but that's how I got in Predator. And I loved it. When we all worked together, I think the big one that came out was Predators uh, with Adrian Brody, that whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> when Adrian Brody got to. <laughs> and we were one of the first people to break. Uh, we talked to him about that movie. And we were one of the first people to break his like whole thing. He was really trying hard to be Ant-Man, if you remember. He was oh, trying yeah, right. hard to be Ant-Man. Um, yeah, that's crazy, right? Um, so, uh, yeah, Predators I even liked. I mean, I love a good Predator movie. Now, that said... I even like AVP, but AVP Requiem was trash, and The Predator from Shane Black was absolute trash. Like, I'm sorry, you will get no love from me for that movie, which is why I'm proud to report that Prey is, for me, at least speaking for me, I would actually give it a four-star review as well, um, and I would say it's the best movie in the franchise for me since the original Predator. Um, it is just... Like I said, Trachtenberg does a really good job of telling good stories within these franchises. And this is a good one. It's about a Comanche woman played by Amber Midthunder, uh, who is was in Legion. She played like half of that crazy mutant combination of a guy and a girl. She was like the tough, super powered half to the brainier guy half that shared a body and they would body swap. Um but yeah, she's a Comanche woman who wants to be a hunter and wants to prove herself. Her brother's like Mr. Big Shit Hunter, and he's a good guy. But none of the rest of the tribe of hunters like kind of think she can do it, and neither does anybody in the tribe. And so she wants to prove herself, and she wants to go on a ritual of hunting something you know dangerous that can hunt you back. And of course, it inadvertently crashes into this whole story about a predator, or I think in this one called Prehistoric Predator, uh, who comes to for his own test of you know what of what's on earth to fight so it's this kind of crazy tribal story and like really about this character story um but it's just really well done and just amber mid thunder i believe that's her name i believe i don't want to mess this up you're correct yeah yeah mid thunder um is does a really good job there's this awesome dog character uh, I had somebody reach out to me talking to me about how authentic it was in terms of the Comanche details, like the dogs, an actual dog, a Comanche tribe would have kept and like, 
it and there's even a Comanche kind of track version so you can see it with subtitles and with the original mm-hmm. Comanche language and like but it's just really well done and it reminds me of every reason why I love to sit down and watch the original Predator without all the cheesy testosterone male stuff that's in that 90s crazy Schwarzenegger movie you know yeah. him and uh, uh, I'm gonna, I almost said Carl Urban but uh, what's his name Carl, oh my God, I can't Carl believe Weathers? Carl Blink. Weathers. Yeah, I can't believe I was blinking, oh. blinking on his name. Him and Carl Weathers with the bicep grip. But this actually tells a really deeper, powerful story uh, uh, about somebody trying to prove themselves and actually beating the predator and doing that actually is a meaningful story. Um, and the way that it's all handled and the battles are handled and the weapons they are using in these time periods, it's. It's all pretty dope and the action sequences are pretty dope. So I got to say, Prey was a pleasant surprise. Like, I mean, it is a dark horse hit for like surprise genre hit for the year for me. Uh, it makes me want to see more predator stories almost in the same format, just total anthology, just anywhere in space, time, history, some kind of fucked up story that involves a predator coming to test things. Right. Like just let's keep it going because this was really good time for me. And it has an awesome dog. We haven't seen that since like Riddick. They need more awesome dogs in these movies. Um, but uh, yeah, it was a great watch and you can do it at home and it's going to be fun. So do you feel, okay, well, actually I'll, I'll get Rob's take and then I'll ask, I have a question for you guys. Okay. Um, I agree with everything you say. It, this movie was fucking awesome and it's, it's kind of, it's kind of perfect in what it's trying to do. Back to basics. It takes the leads and, and the Predator back centuries during like the whole pitch of this, of course, is like the height of the Comanche Empire. Uh, and they absolutely respect that, not just with the dog and the details. They have, I think one of the producers is, is, is uh, involved with the Comanche uh, heritage. And, and like you said, there's the two soundtracks or two uh, subtitle tracks. You can uh, view it with, with the Comanche language as well for, for like most of the scenes or certain scenes, um, which is awesome. And everything you're saying about Trachtenberg – is true. I've been a fan of Danny T since like the TRS days, the totally rad show. In fact, it's the totally rad show that helped us get our first staff for game rant going back to 2009 era. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It was Dan Trachtenberg and Jeff Kanata, two of the hosts of that, that used their Twitter accounts to get us writers like Andrew Dice and Anthony Termina. Like that's where we got them from. Thanks to Danny T. And who in, in back then he was a commercial director trying to get into the business in his twenties. And now look, he takes on, First of all, props to him for being hyper, hyper selective in what he does because, like, uh, you know, he, he has been offered tons of things he could have done but chose otherwise and spends a long, long time making this. Like, his 10 Cloverfield Lane film was not originally a Cloverfield film, just like the, the God Particle became that shitty Netflix Cloverfield. His was just like that, the, the you know, the one-room shot whatever kidnapping story and they converted it under bad robot and the JJ Abrams crew to, to make it um, at Cloverfield film. And he stuck with it for years and, and he made it and, it and it worked. And that's like a super challenging franchise to spin off and make work as well as he did, especially on a hyper character focused thing that way, which, you know, at a glance, you wouldn't even think it's a Cloverfield film um, and Prey jumping into the predator franchise, which I like Kofi, I absolutely love. I, this is exactly what you said. Like this is up there with predator one. Um, and I also like the first AVP and I love the, uh, AVP games, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so to do that and then jump to this, and also he made a Portal short film, which was also awesome. He did the Black Mirror episode with Wyatt Russell, which was awesome. He did the pilot for the boys, which was awesome. So he's, he's picking fucking home runs, and 
in the, on the film front, very challenging things to jump into. So I'm very excited and curious what he's going to do next. And like you said, Kofi, I want to see more Predator movies in different eras. I think we may have talked about this in a previous episode of Podcast X. Like, why don't you do like a Western one? All these different, like, whatever. Pick a genre, pick a time period, future or otherwise. And I think doing this th- this way is the right way. We just take a subset of actors. They don't have to be big stars. Back to basics. Uh, and, and I love the time period especially because the Predator um, – while has you know, of course, has the uh, infamous ability to cloak. And this film doesn't have all, like the laser guns and shit. It uses like a shield and blades and fires spikes. So I love seeing that like de evolution of that character as well. Not just the Comanche using their weapons, yeah, but prehistoric predator was the shit. The hell, very cool. Uh, <laughs> like yeah. I, I love that as a helmet that would be like like with the bone like like kind of matches the time period. Like it was just dope design. Yeah, that's it. It's almost like you're wearing a trophy and you made it and meld it into your mask and, and it, it not wearing all the body armor and shit either. It's like very vulnerable to that time period uh, compared to what we see in like the AVP movies that are covered in fucking like tech and blasters and stuff. Um, very cool. But still lethal, still can go visible, still has a spaceship, interplanetary travel, of course. So um, what a great starting point. This is like the perfect start slash restart of the Predator franchise. And I hope also under this regime, they do the same thing with uh, Aliens. Which you know, I know they're doing a TV show, right? So um, is that for Hulu as well? I think actually, I think they're doing uh, Alien. No, Halle, uh, FX on Hulu, yeah, yeah, yeah FX on Hulu. No, there Halle's. you go. So, like, so, um, so they, if they do that there, holy shit, man! I mean, all they got to do is like if you haven't been reading the Marvel comics relaunch of the Aliens comics, uh, they do great kind of uh, small, limited kind of anthology stories that are you know several issue arcs. But yeah, I mean, they've really shown off what you can do with that concept too in different spaces, like no pun um, intended. Um, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say this as well. The screening you mentioned, like uh, our, our own Collider got to, got to host that and we set up like buses to bring people there for Comic-Con. But it was such a home run, dude. There was literally a standing ovation and the Q&A could not have gone better. Like it was like, I wish I could have been there for it. Uh, I know you saw Barbarian at Comic-Con. I, I wish you could have seen Prey there to kind of just see the reaction. But apparently like it just... Everyone if only I knew a guy involved in Collider who could have just pointed me. Well, that you're asking me about parties, not screenings, man. I know. I'm just messing with you. It's all good. <laughs> I, I mean, it would have been no point like at this point. I am proud to say I have done enough in this industry that Disney was trying to put this in my face. But I think it is now part of industry lore that I am notoriously hard to reach. So, like, people <laughs> – you should see some of the lengths people go to get to me sometimes. But those are the ones who work for it. Those are the ones I trust. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's hard. So like they try, they, Disney tries Marshall. If you ever hear this, like, God bless you, man. Like, I know you try. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I got a lot to do. I'm a busy person. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I am not mad. I'm so happy. I, I mean, I just finally, plus there's a whole, it's a rigmarole to screen a Disney thing. So like, oh my gosh, dude. And true. again, I have three emails and one of those emails was changed from a different email. So like I actually have four emails. And so like just figuring out how to get into some of this stuff could be uh, a challenge. But I got into it the other night and I was like so proud of myself. I finally figured it out. But then I started watching it. I was like, I guess I can watch like, you know, 10 minutes of this before I go to bed. Yeah, I was up late that night. I didn't Same. go to bed. I was just like, yeah, this yeah. is too good. I need a tomahawk on a string now. Like. And I need to know what kind of string. I mean, this is just also a great movie. I'll say for like Native American tribes and way of life, just seeing how how good like you feel like they are formidable threats in and of themselves for the predator, which is important balance. 
because even though they're outclassed, like they're so smart and just like skilled how they can just do anything from like the land, how they make a stretcher in this one scene. Like it's just nuts. Oh yeah. How they treat wounds and create their yeah. own, not morphine, but using plants to kind of like freeze the bodies. They would stop blood flow and stuff. All these crazy cool stuff they do. Yeah. It, yeah. And that was badass. So it's a great, just like a uh, showcase for the native native American tribe. So yeah, man, you got to check out prey. It's going to be on Hulu Friday. Ben, get like us. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to, no, I'm going to check it out for sure. I'm a big fan of like aliens and predator like those franchises, um, those are some that I remember as like a kid, like really, really loving. And I feel like there's been kind of a drought as far as those things go. So I'm excited that this is back and that the Alien TV series could be good. Like that would that would nothing would make me happier than if if those two franchises come back in a big way. Uh, so the question that I was going to ask you guys, and then we can move on to maybe one other thing that that we want to talk about. Um, do you think there's anything like missing in this as a result of it not being something that you'll be able to see in a theater though? Like, I feel like, because looking at the trailer, there are shots in it where I'm like, man, that would have looked sick on a big screen. And Um, no, there's a lot of this that would look great on a big screen, but I think what I I addressed this because somebody asked this to me on Twitter and I, I addressed it and I said, you know, the head scratcher though is, you know, it's easy as my therapist has told me, like, it's easy to just jump into these fallacies, right? Like, oh, this would have been awesome in theaters. But, like, the yeah. real head-scratcher realistic question for you is, like, would this have ever been made if it all rode on a theatrical performance? Yeah, fair. Like, would they have ha- hired Amber Midthunter and actual, like, authentic Native American actors and done this i mean at the budgetary level i'm imagining this was done at like would they have bet on this in theaters and promotion and and, you know the media circuit and all that stuff it takes to make a theatrical movie would this movie have happened would they have even looked at predator and been like after the shane black one and been like yeah let's roll the dice again on this franchise like why not we did so good and it's been such a sustainable thing um, you know, no, probably not. So this is the kind of weird, this is kind of the weird, yeah. Shane Black's the predator cost 88 million and made only 165 million. Like who? Yeah. I don't think anybody that was a disaster with reshoots yeah. and shit too. Yeah. Yeah. I don't um, think anybody would have rolled the dice on this again. So that's the catch 22 of it all. Like, if you see something awesome that got made and it was made and the creator person got to really just make it the way they wanted to. And it was on streaming and uh, it, it turns out to feel like a blockbuster movie experience and you go, Oh, wouldn't that been awesome in the theater? Well, that's kind of the catch 22 of it all. There's it is. Plenty of those I movies do. that you see and you're just like, God damn, I'm glad I did not pay for a theater to see that. Yeah. Um, I, I think for, the word of mouth and what we're saying now, it, it would totally work well and be worthwhile to see. And I, I would recommend seeing this in theater if that was an option. And maybe it gets a limited re-release after the fact because of positive word of mouth. Who, who knows, right? But um, yes on that front. But in terms of the visuals, like it's all shot on location out in Edmonton, like uh, the outskirts there in Canada. And it's everything in frame, including the Predator, like incredible. It's visually well done. And there's a lot of night shots, which are very well done too, which are tough to do, um, especially in nature. Yeah, this ain't Game of Thrones. Kids. They actually got the night no, shots. They, 
it, it did extremely well. Uh, the, it's funny. The only visual stuff I don't like is like the added a little too much special effects on the predator decoking. Like instead of just like phasing in and out of visual, like they make him like glow all orange and shit. Like it's like a Marvel effect sort of thing. You know what I mean? I, I wish think they, they were trying to go for like a more raw, rudimentary, early version of it. But yeah, that's like, true. That's yeah. true. It's, it's, it's too it brain vibrant. Weird. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, it but, looks like uh, that, that. Like that dude yeah. in uh, Apex Legends. You know. Like it was oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, true, true, true. Um, yeah, but you're, but you're right. It's funny, man. Speaking of that, the, the Shane Black thing, which also got delayed and went to reshoots. Like Dan Trachtenberg has been working on this one since before that came out. Like his pitch was to try to like tease it when that movie came out, and the original tease, what he wanted, wouldn't even tell you it's a Predator movie. And then when that Predators movie came out, they had the full trailer, which reveals like there's a Predator in this one as well. That was what. So that's like years ago. So he spent like what four or five years on this thing. Isn't that crazy? So, um, like Kofi was saying, I don't know that if that would have happened under the traditional Fox under Disney theatrical, but with Hulu, he can just do whatever he wants, right? So, yeah, um, they get the creative control aspect and the time. So, uh, it worked out in the film's favor, and I, you know, I, I'm absolutely sure it's so good that they're going to spin off or grow a franchise out of it, maybe as a streaming franchise now. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I would love to be surprised every once in a while. I would love to see a movie trailer that I think is just about a movie until some fucking crazy thing decloaks and just like slaughters them and be like, whoa. Be like, yeah. Yeah. Exit. Yeah. And there was no tease he said. What the only thing it would have shown is from the trailer, like just, just like an orange light in the sky flying by, but you would have no idea what it is until you see the full trailer. I think they should bring this all home for Rob and like get Russell Crowe and one and make it seem like it's a maritime drama. Oh my God. Don't you start master commander. commander let's go. <laughs> have predator come up out of the water and just like <laughs> off of crow's head and just be like, <laughs> Oh man. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, we have a few more minutes. Do you guys want to hit one of the other topics that you, you, I, there were a couple of different ones that you guys wanted to. Ooh, what do we have? Like, what is it? The gray man or paper girls? Is that our choice? Is that like the Sophie's yeah, choice? Yeah, the gray man and paper girls were the other I two. Let's mention them all quick. quick. See you bullet, bullet train too. You can mention, right, Ben? Yeah. Yeah. All I mean, right. that's yeah. Bullet train. I gave it a lightning round. Let's do it. Yep. 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 All right. Okay. It will do like a, a lightning round. So I yeah, saw yeah. bullet, I saw bullet train. I gave it a 3.5. Um, it's style over substance at every possible turn um the film kind of sets up this idea that like some of the characters are actually like sort of philosophical and talking about karma and fate and bad luck and by the end it doesn't say anything interesting about about any of those things but man it is entertaining um everybody i brought a couple of my friends and my mom actually went with me and like all of us laugh like left saying that it was a lot of fun and we we really enjoyed it and there were a lot of laugh out loud moments and you know, there's great gun fu action and stuff from from the director who, you know, was one of the first directors on on John Wick and did Deadpool 2 and, you know, other things that have like this sort of highly stylized like gun fu type action. Um, it's kind of weird. It's set in Japan and like there's more white people on this train than you would expect um, for, a, for a train that's headed for, for Kyoto. Um, and I know there's sort of a whitewashing controversy that I addressed in the review as well. But minute to minute like i i really enjoyed it it's it seems to be getting kind of mixed reviews but i would say like if you're going into it just wanting some kind of crazy action um there's Look, a lot here's of the important characters. question better or worse than smoking aces okay so i kept thinking about smoking aces during um it's funny you brought that up because i really love smoking aces i think smoking aces is probably in some ways a better film um but 
just because it kind of knows what it is. I feel like this one, it's, you know, we were talking about reach, you know, exceeding grasp. I think by the end of this one, it gets so crazy and it gets so in its own head with sort of the style and, and stuff that it's, that it's pumping out that it, it kind of, I think, goes off the rails somewhat even literally by the end um, that I, I think Smoke and Ace is an all around better movie. But I, I would say that if you like Smoke and Aces, you'll probably love this. That's uh, that's how I would kind of contextualize all that. All right, good. That is Bullet Train. Moving on, let's do The Gray Man. Uh, the one that we all three could have seen, but then violently <laughs> chose not to. Yeah, yeah. Um, somehow saw Bullet Train, but not Gray Man. But, uh, yeah. um, but uh, no, in all seriousness, um, again, let's keep this lightning. I will just say, because it's been out now, it's out, it's already a success. It's getting a sequel, it's getting everything. So, um, the book, but, uh, I think it's the only thing that rekindled my faith that the Russo brothers can actually make movies Um, because 21 bridges was okay, I guess. And cherry, I will. Yeah. Yeah. The first 10 minutes was enough for me. Um, (laughs) Like, I I mean, it's just, I have no burning desire to watch that movie Uh, and they didn't draw me in. So this is the best thing I've seen them do since uh, like, winter soldier in time in terms of like action espionage and all that um yeah it was just really good and and i think the performance has just really carried it over right like ryan gosling was good just doing that kind of ryan gosling thing he does which is half a tom hardy thing which is kind of the mumble core uh him just kind of having (laughs) like little mumbling like responses and stoicness and stuff like that really worked in this movie actually. And he's good with like the kind of dry humor that he, that he has throughout and uh, the banter that he has with other characters. And of course, Chris Evans is just chewing up the fucking scenery in every scene he's in and it's hilarious. But uh, Billy Bob Thornton, Jessica Henwick and uh, oh, who's the guy, the uh, Indian actor or Danish uh, Avik. Uh, Avix, his character's name is Avix something, but Danush is what he's known as. Yeah, Danush, yeah. yeah. Um, he's awesome in this too, like completely awesome. And that man's gonna be a, now an international star in the I mean over here in the West, but uh, yeah. And I mean, in Netflix, boy, Netflix does not give a fuck about a profit, that is for sure, because they just kept writing checks to the Russos for crazier and crazier and crazier over the top stuff. But it actually pretty much looks pretty good for the most part. So, um, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, Anna de Armas. Like, this movie is just, like, focus group. The movie put together a great action movie. But uh, they nailed all the right people in the right roles. Anna de Armas continues to be, like, an international treasure. Uh, she's awesome as a Bond girl and just as awesome in this as a different character entirely. So it was just kind of it's kind of impressive for her. So, you know, uh, I'm with the Gray Man series. Uh, I'll jump in. Uh, I think they spent too much money on this. Uh, yeah, Netflix spent two hundred million or some crazy number, which is totally unnecessary. I think they needed restraint on the budget. And I think the Rousseaus need restraint on the amount of action scenes for a movie that's all action. There's a lot of cool action and a lot of cool visuals with the way they do lights, and there's a lot of like weird dust and. It's, this is going to sound weird, but even the intro fight scene. And a lot of the fight scenes in Prague and interior scenes, there's always like dust and debris and gases and they play with the colors and lights the same way David Leach probably does in Bullet Train, Ben. He, he does in all his films, Atomic Blonde, John Wick, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of that that the Rousseau's are trying to do. 
And they like playing with action. They did it super well in the Winter Soldier, which to me still has the best action up there with, you know, Shang-Chi does too. But, you know, yeah. Winter Soldier is the best Marvel movie for me. But um, it's, it's this is fun to watch though. And seeing Gosling get to do his like action shit is awesome. Evans is a bad guy. He's great. I, I like Kofi said, choose it up just like he does in Knives Out. More of that, the better. Um, but there's a couple scenes that are totally unnecessary. There's one particular scene involving an airplane sequence that just, you could just take out of the movie and it makes no difference. And it looks goofy and cheap because there's some, it's like the uncharted falling out of the plane sequence. They did it again. And it's just like, it's, it's dumb. Um, but, uh, it's totally deserving of a franchise. So it's n- no surprise you're making a sequel and a spinoff. Um, you mentioned 21 bridges, uh, Kofi, they produced that one. I, I kind of like that one, but they also produced extraction, right? Or did they direct? No, they produced that one. I loved extraction as a, as a, another Netflix, action franchise they're building with with hemsworth um so this is kind of like along those along those veins i think uh, extraction is a little better because it's a little more clean and polished i think um but yeah i will say the absolute highlight and the must-see action moment of the year is anna de armas uh running in the third act just covered in guns and rocket launchers grenade launchers and blowing the shit out of everything it totally makes up for her lack of screen time and no time to die where she deserved more. And she gets to do a little more here. Uh, so much. So I wish she got her own <laughs> fucking franchise, just doing that kind of shit. Um, speaking of which, I think there's a rumor she may do a John Wick spinoff or something. Uh, so let's make that happen because she crushes it in this one. Um, but yeah, everything else Kofi said, so it is, it is really, really true. Um, but uh, they, they take it too far sometimes. Uh, but there's a lot of cool, cool scenes. And, and Ben, I do think you should like stop fucking delaying and just watch it. Here, yeah, but here's the thing. Like, yeah, Netflix is out of control with with making action movies. Because what was that stupid Ryan yes, Reynolds sir. movie called? Oh, uh, Six Underground was so yeah. bad. Michael Bay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that like bad. that had a sequence. I mean, that first sequence. I it took me two days just to watch the first sequence because it, it was just terrible. kept going terrible. and it was so good, or not so good, but so just like over the top. Um, yeah. this one had that in that one part. Where's that Italy? Where they are? Where Prague, where they're going crazy Prague. in the streets. Oh yeah, yeah, where they're like handcuffed to the thing, and he sends all the teams. Yeah, that was the one time I was just like, okay, guys, like, <laughs> a bit you much. can stop. Like, at this point in any real world scenario, like whatever armies were in the area would have been all over this place, like quick, fast, because so, you guys are just for context, <laughs> a level of mayhem that is just insane. And the way it plays out too, Ben, for context, the scene Kofi's describing is like the scene in Anchorman 1 and 2 where the different news teams keep showing yes. up. And fighting, like, <laughs> not endlessly. Like, that's literally the scene. That's like, literally the scene. Pop yeah. it up, pop it up, and there's just endless gunfire, and like Ryan Gosling's just sitting there during this whole thing. It's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> just say, yeah, it, it's nuts. Like, it is literally like you're watching a bunch of people get killed, and they're like, all right, send in team four. All right, team five. And it's just like team five and <laughs> yeah. each team has like crazier and crazier weapons. Like there's yeah. just eventually a man with just a Gatling gun walking down the street. Like, and you're just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like, and yeah, like shooting through buses really full of people. It's just, yeah. And Anyways, it's funny. Um, <laughs> by the time you get to the end fight, it's just like they blew the budget so much at the end fight. It's just like Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans in a fountain wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's awesome. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'll get out for sure. All right, Kofi, uh, Paper Girls? You yeah, that? I'm just going to say I'm not done yet. I'm near the end. I have the last two episodes, but um, I was pleasantly surprised by Paper Girls the same way I was kind of pleasantly surprised by Yellow Jackets last year. Um, I mean, I love Yellow Jackets. Yeah. Yeah. And 
I could see, yeah. I mean, Yellow Jackets is going to be more of like a lost thing that goes on. But um, even if this is the only run for Paper Girls, I was pleasantly surprised by. I'm not always one for the teen kind of coming of age drama, but there is something. The one hook that this show has that I think really kind of impacts me are the scenes of younger people and younger selves and older selves, or or people older people that were close to you having to kind of compare and contrast your youthful views and expectations with adulthood. And that whole thing gets like really trippy in your head. Um, So I I actually really love those moments and sequences in the, in the show. Uh, Those are really something kind of uniquely special in sci-fi that, that I find are different. Um, A lot of things to want to do time paradox. Don't ever meet yourself. There's not like a whole lot of actually getting to know yourself and having these deep conversations in these. And I like each of the girls, the characters and the actors, the young actors playing them enough that seeing them kind of interact in their older selves, the actresses who play their older selves or just the people around them who they kind of connect with are all really good. And those scenes are really well done. So I kind of weirdly like paper girls as a kind of sci-fi drama (laughs) twist more than just like the high concept comic book stuff that we're, we're supposed to get from it. But uh, yeah, it was, yeah. I thought it was pleasantly surprising. That's awesome. So did you check that one out yet, Rob or no? No, it's, it's on Amazon, right? So, so uh, I'm yeah, going to I think like Ashley and I are looking for like a new, a new show. We've been watching like only murders in the building, you know, but those episodes are so short and there's only one a week. So We've been looking for something new. I think I think Paper Girls is going to be it. This yeah. feels like a it feels like a good match for like my interest in hers. Me, me too. I read a description of it after Kofi had texted about it. I was like, oh, that sounds awesome. And the reviews are like really really good. But I have half an episode of The Old Man on FX to finish. Then I'll move over. Oh yeah, I got to yeah. finish that. I'm on like episode three or something. I'm moving real slow because there's just yeah. too much to watch. I'm watching that. I got to watch The Bear. I got to watch yeah, yeah, same. A, That's lot, good too. a lot of stuff going on. There's another on. thing which got delayed. We can't talk about for a long time, <laughs> but yeah. So uh, lots to come on podcast yeah. X. It's <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, yeah, that'll do it for this week's episode. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see if by next week there's any more information about this Batgirl cancellation. And if, you know, if people come out and start talking about it now, DC's and, uh, uh, already fucking up there. They're out here making statements about, Oh, this is not a reflection of Leslie. Great. Well, you shelved the movie that would have made her a star. So it's a something. So, yeah. I don't know what you, yeah. What are you trying to say there? Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see. Uh, we'll see if there's more to report there. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. I like we'll uh, we'll obviously need to do like a deep dive on on prey at some point once more people have seen it and I've seen it and stuff. I think we can definitely justify a full review of that. So, um, but otherwise, we will see you guys next week. That'll do it for this week of Podcast X. I am at Ben Kendrick. You can follow me at Ben Kendrick on Twitter. You can check out what I'm doing over at Rise at Seven, Mr. Rob Keys. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Rob underscore Keys. That's K-E-Y-E-S. And on FailCube on Twitch and Instagram. And you can check out our work on Scream Ant Collider and CBR. Special guest, Kofi Outlaw. I am over at comicbook.com where you can find my writing and original features. I also host the uh, Comic Book Nation podcast, which you can also download on your podcast platforms. Or watch on Mixable, which is a very uh, which is available through Paramount+. Plus. And uh, Comic Book Nation also has its own YouTube channel now, which I'll be taking some of these things inspired over here by Podcast X in its raw form and 
possibly turning into some uh, videos and discussions and editorials and things like that. So be sure to check out that as well. Awesome. That will do it for this week's episode. If you have time, give us a review on your podcast um, platform of choice. We will see you all next week. <laughs>